I like that part in the Crown Him uh, song. He lives that death may die. That's pretty awesome, huh? Good. We have great hope. Actually, today we'll be talking about our hope. Again, we're looking at First Peter chapter one and verse thirteen. But I want you to index that with your finger and then flip over to the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter eleven briefly by way of introduction. Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to start out, I just want to ask this question, what is hope? And what what is your definition of hope? Some people believe that hope is to want something to be true. And that's, I think, really kind of the, the world's definition of hope, to to want it earnestly, to want it badly. It's kind of a wishful thinking. I would say that there's an element of truth to that. We, we want something to be hoped. That's what it means to hope in something. But there's a biblical definition that expects is something that has confidence, that believes to expect with confidence, to, to cherish with an anticipation that's a biblical definition of hope. And so, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, and I want to ask you this question. What are you hoping in? At Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, gives us a clear biblical view of what we are to be hoping in. The wolf... Verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the wean child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And they shall not hurt, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The Bible promises the most wonderful thing we could ever hope in here. Uh, What are you hoping in? I hope that you are hoping in in this right here. When the the cow and the bear are going to hang out together like old buddies. Right? And when the kids can pick up a a cobra and play with it without any fear of being bit. When when the world is reconciled, when there's peace and harmony. This is our great Christian hope. Turn over now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I want you to ask this question. What, how much hope does Peter want us to have? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
King James, hope to the end. The ESV says, hope fully. Tyndale, trust perfectly. Peter wants us to have a limitless hope, an exponential amount of hope, a complete hope, hope that is to its max, to its full extent. Hope that is indescribable. A hope that is immeasurable indestructible, and is really miraculous. That's the the full hope that he calls the Christian today to do. And so today I want to talk to you about Christian hope. Hope while living really in turbulent, trying times as the people people that Peter was writing to were in. They're really actually desperate times. So, how to remain hopeful in difficult times is what we're going to talk about. It all comes from this verse 13 where he says, hope to the end. And he says, first, gird up the loins of your mind. First point is, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind for action. And the second, be sober. And now this, this word, I looked it up, and it really can just simply mean to not get intoxicated on wine. And it also can have this sense of being sober in the way you think. In other words, being serious about life as well. This second point is be sober. Third, hope to the end for the grace. Thinking about those promises of Scripture that are in the future that we have coming to us, that we're anticipating with confidence and rejoicing in. This is how you're going to remain hopeful in difficult times. Now, last time we talked about the the prophets. If you remember, last week we covered verses 10 through 12 where the, the, the prophets had a gospel, the same gospel that you and I believe. And, and they had this hope in salvation. And, and we said that the Bible is not primarily about how to live a happy life. The Bible's not primarily about raising good kids or how to be a good citizen, but it is about this one basic truth, salvation through Jesus Christ. And these, these Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament saints, were hoping in that day of grace when Jesus Christ would come and make atonement for sin. We also have a future grace that we are hoping in. We actually are not looking for salvation uh, through Christ removing guilt through His death on, on the cross, but they were looking forward to that reconciliation with God. We are looking for the reconciliation of all things. The reconciling of the entire world. And so um, you see the immediate connection between verses 10 to 12 and here in verse 13. Again, if you're hoping in your best life now, <laughs> you're going to be gravely disappointed with life. But if you're looking for your best life in the future based on the promises of God for salvation, then, then your best life is not now. In, even though uh, the Christian life is actually a wonderful experience, 
that you're in communion with God daily and yet you've, your conscience is clean before God, your best life is still in the future. So, he says, how, how to remain hopeful in difficult times. Gird up the loins of your mind. Anticipate difficulties in this life. Prepare your mind for action. Be ready for spiritual warfare. Um, in baseball, I was all, always playing left field because I wasn't that good of a fielder and I was always kind of daydreaming about snow cones and nachos after the game. I, I like baseball for the community and not so much <laughs> was that interested in the sport, you know. But um, my, my coach would say, be in the balls of your toes at all times, right? Because when that ball comes to you, you don't want to be backpedaling and you're going to be two steps behind. Peter here, he's saying, be on the balls of your toes in your life. Anticipate these trials, catch them, take hold of them, and then reason yourself to a, back to a place of hope. Okay, Be ready. The Greek word, gird up, is, uh, the Greek word uh, is actually gird up the waist of your mind. And the ESV says this, preparing your minds for action, which captures the general sense of what he means here, but it actually obliter- it, it obliterates the word picture that Peter is giving here. All right? um, the men of ancient Israel, they actually would wear these really long robes that restricted their movement, and they were heavy. And so if they wanted to do anything strenuous or active, they needed to actually cinch a belt around the robe, and then they would fold the the robe into their into their belt to um, free up free them up for strenuous activity. It's kind of like rolling up your sleeves before you go to work on a on a strenuous task. That's the word picture here. Um, sometimes on my lunch break, I like to loosen up my belt. <laughs> Why well, sit down to have lunch? But it's Peter's saying, like, put your belt back on, get your tools on your belt, and get back to work. You can't do locksmithing and drilling deadbolts while you're trying to pull up your pants, right? That's what he's saying. Christians, be alert. It's, it suggests that we are active in our minds. We have action. Uh, the word actually for mind here is dianoia. It indicates a kind of thinking through questions. Uh, in other words, don't just make decisions impulsively, but be thoughtful about your decisions in life. Be circumspect, kind of weighing out all the different responses and weighing, c- considering how it might affect other people, perhaps. And, and what are the ramifications? It, it's about being thorough in your thinking and careful. It's about being cautious. And it's particularly about this being having concentration and focus. That's what this word indicates. So we're going to carefully consider what the Word of God says. Not assuming that we know it all, but looking to God for solutions and assuming that God has given us and equipped us thoroughly with the Word of God for every difficult situation in life. Okay? Um, And we search the Scriptures for our answers. 
before you make any major decision in your life, I, I, I would recommend that you ask yourself these four questions. What does the Bible say about this topic? That's question number one. Uh, assume it does talk about the topic that you're, you're, you're inquiring about. The Bible, it says in Second Peter chapter 1, it says that it's, the Bible has equipped us thoroughly for, every, every, um, for all parts of life and practice. Okay? It's, it's sufficient for all of your needs. And so the Bible assumes that it actually touches upon whatever major decision you're, you're, you're facing. The, the Bible is going to give you wisdom. Second, how does this decision glorify God? Does this decision that I'm about to make, does it exalt myself? Or is this decision going to glorify God? Third, how does this decision affect my witness? Will it communicate to others my faith in Jesus Christ? Does it bear witness to my hope in Jesus Christ? And then fourth, how does this decision reflect my hope in the future grace that's coming to me? And you can just think about things like your career choices you might make or purchasing of a home, big decisions in life, not like, where am I going to get the next parking spot or something like that? I'm talking about big decisions of life. Um, what city I might live in, what school I might attend. We, we come to the Lord for guidance on these things. And we pray and bring your thoughts to God and say, God, would you want me to per- make this purchase? Would you want me to own a, a second home? And how does that glorify you, God? How does How does that... Um, demonstrate my 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 faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in my hope in eternity. You, and you you work these questions through in your mind and you reason yourself, reason it through with yourself. Okay. And so you're examining your heart and you're training yourself to think biblically, taking every question captive and putting it under the spotlight of God's revelation, and then praying it through and asking God for wisdom. Now, he's particularly talking about girding up your mind for trials. He's saying anticipate trials of various kinds, real trials, relationships that are strained, um, injuries, calamities, disasters, tyranny, aging. Think about how you will respond in these different situations. Now, you've faced this bully before, and it caught you off guard the first time. And you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't laugh at his jokes, and so he turned it around and he made a joke out of you, right? So you're to anticipate next time. You don't be naive about the fact that the next time you see this guy, he's, he's going to... He's going to do the same thing, right? Be ready. Have you examined this, this situation and thought it through? How would you, as a Christian, how would you respond to this situation? Are you going to walk away? Are you going to punch the guy in the mouth? Are you going to retaliate with your words and make a mockery of him? You know? Um, and how does this decision either glorify God, testify of my faith in Christ, 
or demonstrate my hope in eternity. And so that's, that's, that's how we think it through and we, we gird up the loins of our mind and we anticipate these trials and difficulties and we're ready for them. Second point is to be sober. Now, why don't we allow drinking and driving? Why, why, why don't we allow people to be pounding beers at work? What, what is that? Well, you're supposed to be focused, right? Stay on task. You're, you're going to be con, con, concentrating on, on, the, on the duty ahead of you and be serious and alert. And alcohol makes you reckless, like a bowl in a china shop. Right? Just, just you leave a trail. Drunks just leave a trail of blood behind them everywhere they go, and they 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 make wreckage of things. And so, um, what happens when you consume alcohol? Well, the more you consume that, the more that alcohol begins to consume you. Right? Isn't that what happens when you? When you drink too much, the alcohol takes control of your mind. It takes control of your emotions. It takes control of your rationale, and it it actually disconnects you from reality. And so Peter is actually writing to some Christians who have a good reason to take up drinking. And you think you've got it difficult, and I'm sure there's some, each of us have some difficult situations, but these guys, it says in verse 1 that they were aliens and strangers. They were actually refugees. And they had left it all behind. Uh, the, the pressures of the world had encircled them and they had, to, they had to leave their investments behind. They left their property behind. They left their careers. They left their loved ones behind. And they had to flee to another country. And all their hopes, all their Hopes in this world and their earth, their, their retirement, whatever it had, had been, they had to leave it all behind. And they were disillusioned, right? And they were struggling with their future and wondering if God had a plan for them. And, and you're in, in these kind of moments, you just kind of want to check out in life, right? And get hammered for the night. And so Peter, you know... He, he acknowledges that. I can understand why people want to drink. Right? I mean, life is hard. The world is mean. And you want to cope with life. And so you take the edge off. Well, the sad reality is you wake up a few hours later and you realize alcohol has done nothing to solve your problems. Right? Right? And, and it only has per- perpetuated your problems because now you've, you've got a big trail of blood to clean up. You know, you made a mess of things when you got drunk. And so, Peter, is, he's saying, don't, don't do that. It's not just about drinking, though. I think there's an intoxication of the mind, right? And you can, you can get intoxicated in your thinking in so many different ways. I think of just wanting to check out on some hobbies or check out on politics. I get kind of overly drunk on politics. You guys consuming too many politics? Um, I don't know, Facebook or what's Snapchat or I don't know what the different ones are, but people get caught up in other people's 
problems and they get consumed with the worldly affairs. The, the Bible it, it promises to change our thinking about life. It, it is actually a stimulant, like alcohol, but it's a stimulant for hope, real hope. Something that's based in reality, not this fake world that we live in with all of our technology, right? This is a real living hope based on truth. As a Christian, why would I want to disconnect from reality? My, my reality is the best of all possible worlds. When I read Isaiah chapter 11, I don't want to disconnect from reality. We have the lion laying down with the lamb. I want to see that. That would be cool, wouldn't it? I want to see a kid just picking up snakes and playing with them freely. I want to see the resurrected Lord. And when my body aches, I want to remind myself of the resurrection. You know, we have so much to hope for. You lose your home, you have a a home in heaven. Um, You fear death. Jesus triumphed over death. We have great hope. When friends betray us, the Lord promises to never leave us nor abandon us. And so if you fill yourself up with the promises of God and the biblical hope, all right, we're not going to fill ourselves up with beer. And we can't spiral down into the gutter of despair. God is sovereign. Christ has defeated death. And you, Christian, you are triumphant. And so we're going to fill ourselves up with biblical hope. Splash some water on your soul. Say, wake up. Uh, you can't wallow in your misery anymore. You've got hope. If you're a Christian, your best life is still ahead. Christ has defeated death. And so is God real to you? Is, is, the, is the truth of, of Scripture and the promises of God, are they a sure thing to you? Are you confident in them? Are you anticipating this? This is a, a hope that actually superabounds any trial that you could face in life. And so, Peter says, be sober. Now, what does Peter tell us to hope in or What is he telling us to hope for? He says, for the grace. Peter says, the hope for the grace that is to be brought to you. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? It's actually future tense, right? Yeah. Oh, past or future, yeah. We're hoping for something that is future, okay? Uh, we are hoping for grace in the future, the return of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our great hope. And not the grace that came to us when Christ came into the world at the first advent and died on the cross to forgive us of sins. Of course, that gives us great assurance, right? It reminds us of the love of God. It, it, it gives us a clean conscience before before God, 
and it fills our life with grace, and it, it actually is great counsel to our soul to help us to endure in trials. But he's not talking about that here. He's talking about this future grace, something to be anticipated. Um, we have more grace coming, in, a, in other words, in that, that future when the second coming of the Lord in sin is removed, illness is cured, there's no more calamities, there's no more troubles in this life. And the grace that we um, received of reconciliation from God is, is a wonderful thing, but this is speaking about that second advent of Christ, the return of Christ. And so are you looking forward to the future? Remember that song, My Future's So Bright, i got to Wear Shades? <laughs> You don't? Okay, that's back in the 80s. <laughs> you remember it, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Christian. Right? My future's bright. All right. All right. Um, without faith in Christ, though, our, our future is pretty bleak, and it is hopeless. And, you know, uh, uh, thinking of a really desperate situation, it, I, I recently watched that movie, uh, Unbroken, um, about a POW in World War II. And um, actually the movie didn't do justice. The, the book was much better. But, um, you know, a POW can endure much because of his hope. His hope to see his friends again someday, to see his family, to see his children. And he can go through a hellish existence on earth knowing that one day, you know, he might see his family again, right? And that hope, it actually encourages us to endure well. But the sad reality is if that POW doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, his, his eternal destiny is hopeless. He, he, he may experience joy in this life after the prison camp, but then he goes to a place much worse. But you... You have hope to the end. You could actually face the worst of circumstances and never get out of that situation. And yet, in eternity, you have just eternal bliss and glory and triumph over all these things if your faith is in Jesus Christ. If you're not hoping in Jesus Christ, I just I beg your soul, please don't face eternity without Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have this hope that is unending and eternal, is hope to the maximum, and that triumphs over any trial that you can face in life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just thank you for this wonderful picture you gave to us in Scripture of in Isaiah, Lord. And Lord, I long for that. I pray that uh, you would fill each of our hearts to long for that. Thank you that you provide provided reconciliation with you through what Christ did on the cross, that we might experience the eternal glory, Lord. I ask that um, if some do not know you, Lord, that even now they would just um, you would miraculously fill their heart with this hope and this faith. I ask for your help, Lord, and we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.